Welcome to the Disruptive Entrepreneur Podcast. For anyone who wants to make money and make a difference, grow and leverage your enterprise better, get more done in less time, outsource everything and create your ideal lifestyle. And now, your host, eight times best-selling author and double world record holder, Rob Moore. Welcome to the live feed Disruptive Entrepreneur podcast. This is Rob Moore here. And the next 12 minutes or so, we're going to talk about managing your fears. So first things first, you can send me any questions. I'm going to try and triply, quadrily multitask with podcast, video, take the live Q&A while we're going. So if you have any questions on managing fear, mastering your fear, how your fears can kind of defeat you or anything that you say to yourself in your head that, you know, maybe kind of you know, sort of diminishes your confidence, then please submit those right now. So I'll give you a quick agenda. I even have an agenda. <laughs> Look at that for organisation. So I'm going to talk about the purpose of fear, the delusion that you can actually completely get rid of fear, a lot of personal development-y, optimism-y, positivity. People are like, oh, well, you can never experience fear. You can get rid of that and be positive all the time. That's bullshit. Talk about some of the fears that I have day to day so that maybe just to help you sort of be honest about yours. Because the one thing I was a bit concerned about when I decided to do this video podcast was if I post live that I'm going to do a live training on how to manage your fears, some people aren't going to do that because they're going to be scared to admit what their fears are. And so you're listening and you're watching and you're asking me questions, which means you're on enough, honest enough to say, I've got some, it doesn't make me a bad person, and I'm going to not worry too much about how people are going to judge me, I'm just going to be honest about them. And that's one of the best things that you can do. Also going to talk about some of the major fears like what other people might think about you, for example. I didn't do live feed videos for ages because I was worried that my chin and my beard looked massive. I mean, get that for stupid. All right, how to embrace both sides of the fear, i.e. the goods and the bad side. Learning how to self-coach and talk to yourself, the magic of the five-minute rule. So that's the agenda for the next now. What have we got left? 10 minutes or so. Morning, Tom. Morning, Gordon. Tom, I'll take your question in a minute. So just to remind you what we're covering is how to manage your fears. Okay, so the first thing is that fear has a purpose. I'm sure you don't need me to go into details. You get it. Thousands of years ago, we were different. Survival was higher on our hierarchy of needs. Life was much more basic and carnal. We needed to eat, procreate, You know, we needed to survive. You know, we weren't developing technology. We weren't trying to travel to space and all this stuff. And so because our needs were much more basic, fear had a much stronger role to play. And um, if we're not hardwired to feel fear, then we die. It's as simple as that. But as the the rate of technology, you know, Moore's law, where I think something like the, the speed or capacity of a microchip doubles, I think it's every two to three years... Technology and society has accelerated at a much faster rate than maybe our brain or our wiring, such that our fears are still very primal, i.e. You know, survival, raising our kids. If you're a parent, send me a message. Say hi if you're a parent. Just say, hi, Rob, I'm a parent. Because I'd say there's not a period of two days that go by where I don't have a vision of my son dying. And, you know, part of me just, I can't watch films or things on Facebook, you know, where children are hurt. And the feeling of it is so strong. It's like what the biggest fear in my life is losing my children. And, um, you know, sometimes I wish I didn't feel that because it's so strong. 
you know, things can happen just randomly. Like um, I'll be on the golf course and Bobby got run over by a buggy and um, it looked like it had just squashed his legs. And so in that moment, when you're pulling the buggy away, all you can see in your mind is paralysis or, you know, you just my mind creates all these scenarios about the things that could happen to Bobby. You know, do you remember when um, there was all those really shocking images that came out of the the the, 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 the um, immigrants that were trying to swim across from Syria and, you know, the dead children? And all I could see in, in my mind was Bobby. But there's a part of your brain that has a little bit more experience and wisdom and is a bit more of a modern thinker, which understands that the purpose of that is to be careful and to watch your children and nurture your children and love your children. And, you know, before I, I had kids, you know, I'd fly helicopters, I'd drive cars very fast, crashed my Ferrari into the Sun News International building, I had a driving ban for lots of speeding fines. It's a bit annoying, isn't it, when you do, what, 33 and a 30, 55 and a 50... 175 in a 70 and um, you know I was I was so reckless but then when you have kids something changes but that for me it's such a good thing that that's there because if that wasn't there I'd be doing stupid things raising my kids so that's my sort of quick summary of, of saying that the fear serves a purpose you know it serves a purpose so don't try and get rid of it or yoga it or happy clappy, you know, I'm going to be positive every single minute of every day. It's a message. It's a sign. Do you need to slow down? Do you need to de-risk? Do you need to think about something that you haven't thought about? Do you need to put attention in a certain area? So step one is that the fear serves the purpose. You've just got to modernise it. You've got to think, is this a, a sort of a carnal prehistoric fear which hasn't really adapted to society? Or is this a real and genuine fear? So another fear that I had sharing so, so that I, you can relate is um, for many years, I was single and very If you love to travel like me and you understand the power in escaping the money for time exchange trap, but you just don't know how to do it, then building an Airbnb consultancy business could be exactly what you have been looking for. Right now in the UK, there is a completely untapped opportunity through helping struggling Airbnb hosts by turning around their underperforming properties and generating you huge commission payments in the process. We are going to teach you all of the tools and all of the techniques that we've learned over the last five years through building our very own multiple six-figure Airbnb business, arming you with everything that you need to swoop in and save the day. Minimal startup costs, zero risk, and almost unlimited potential. Sound good? Welcome to the Airbnb Consultant. Contact us through any of the channels included in the studio notes to get the conversation started. Only. I mean, I hadn't had sex in a girl. And um, I used to build these images in my mind that if I ever approached a girl in a bar, it would go something like this. I'd sheepishly walk up, probably approach them from behind, probably sort of meekishly say, hi, I'm Rob. And then this is what I would see would happen. The girl would go, everyone, listen, stop, DJ, stop the music. This freak, this weirdo trying to pull me, get him out, kick him out, loser. And, and that's what I'd actually, I would play that in my mind like that was going to happen. Now, I think Mark Twain summed fear up really well when he said, I can't believe I'm admitting this in front of tens of thousands of people. But 
Mark Twain said, I had many worries in my life, many of which didn't happen. Now, I may have slightly paraphrased, but I had many fears in my life, most of which never happened. And I believe that it's um, been proven through research that up to 99% of your fears, they never actually happen. So can you compartmentalise your fears so that this one is primal, survival, important, look after your kids, you know, build a house, eat, you know, uh, protect. And then there's all these ones. What's the estate agent going to think of me if I offer really low? They're going to pick me up and throw me out of the estate agency and punch me and blacklist me from every other viewing. No, they're not going to do that. Or if I ask, if I try and sell something, the rejection that I'm going to get is so bad. Well, no, it's not. You see, when it comes to rejection, which is a big fear of most of us, we think that they're rejecting us. But the reality is they're rejecting the offer, the proposal, the thing that's happening in the moment, the scenario, the situation, maybe the style of the pitch, the way it's worded, the wrong time for them. So they're actually not rejecting you. They're rejecting that it's not right for them at that time or the way it was done. So if you can take... You could, so really, a lot of this is about compartmentalisation, isn't it? It's a, you compartmentalise a real fear from a, a fear that hasn't adapted to the speed of society. And then you compartmentalise if you're being rejected or if it's just the way you did the thing, the way you asked the question is being directed. Now, when you can basically compartmentalise a way so that your ego, your identity, your confidence is separate from the result what happens is your self-worth doesn't diminish. Because what a lot of people do when they get defeated by their fears and they get defeated by, you know, all the rejection and the the society, how they're judging them, they have like this battery lifeometer. And if it goes okay, it goes up a bit. But then if they reject it, it goes down. But because, you know, if you want to succeed a lot, you have to fail even more than you succeed. Then their ometer or their battery life or their, you know, their power bar goes down and down and down and down and down until they've got nothing left. But that's because the meaning is I'm not good enough. The meaning shouldn't be I'm not good enough. The meaning should be the thing I did needs to improve or to tweak. And I used to have this when I used to sell my art. Now, when I say sell my art, I say that loosely because I really never sold any. I mean, um, you can't see behind me, but I've got pictures of my art all over my house because I couldn't fucking sell any. And uh, Gemma even wants me to get rid of it and get some decent art up and around the house. But I was, I had A star at, GCSE, 100%, the only person in the country at that age to get 100% art. AA level, and I only did it just over a year. And um, then I set up my art as a business and I failed. So I should have succeeded and I had everything with me to succeed. And I could do art and I was good and I was talented at art and I was practiced and talented, but I failed. Now, the reason I failed is not because I couldn't do art, it's because I couldn't sell art, I couldn't market art. So instead of going out and finding another gallery or another agent or asking the fifth agent or the eighth gallery, having got four or seven rejections, what I do is go and paint another painting. And if you think about it, it's insanity to keep doing what's not working and not getting results, not getting money, thinking that things are going to change. And, you know, a bit like I'd go to a bar and stand at the bar looking after all the drinks because all my mates would be out there chatting up the girls and I'd be standing there looking after the drinks, wishing that, you know, my Virgin Mary dressed in white would approach me and propose to me. I mean, that never happens. And, you know, no gallery owner is going to go, oh, yeah, I'm going to go over to Rob Moore's house and I'm going to do a deal with him and, you know, buy all of his art or license all his art or whatever. None of them are ever going to do that. So I rarely used to go into any galleries to ask the gallery owners to hang my work or approach agents. And if I did and they said no, I'd make that mean that I'm a really bad artist, when in fact it means that my art isn't right for their gallery or they've got too many artists on. I have to make loads of rejections. People are approaching me now dozens of times a day for money, for JVs, for partnerships. 
and virtually all of the times it's actually not them. I mean, sometimes they're a bit abrupt or rude or they've got the entitlement, which I, I kind of don't like. But most of the time, it's just not right for me now. I've got too many partnerships on. I've got enough going on. And often it's a no, but it, what it is, is it's, it's a not today. It's not a no forever, because I want to be involved in good partnerships. And so I used to envisage going into a gallery, taking my work, you know, humbly, and putting it on there like I'm putting my heart and soul on the, on the counter and then looking at it and going, no, nah, that's shit. That won't sell. You're a shit artist. Get out. And that's, you know, so you create all these fabrications in your mind that aren't real about how things will go. So I've got some, and most of these are based on the fear of what other people will say about us. But here's the thing. People are going to judge you anyway. So if people are going to judge you anyway, if, they're gonna, if you're going to get critics and haters anyway, then why don't you just be who you are? You know, if you want to make more money, we all want to make more money. People are like, oh, no, I don't want money. I don't want money. I just want happiness and freedom. And I just want to be able to travel the world. And I just want all these nice things. But oh, no, I don't want any money. Bullshit. You need money for all of those things. So if people are going to judge you anyway, you might as well be rich. So here's some strategies to kind of help you with this. So I like to analogize it that I've got me as a coach and then me as the sort of fear-based kind of primal instinct protect. Now, when I'd done my sort of 10th personal development course, I used to think that I could happily, clappily affirm and, and meditate all my fears away so that they would never happen. But actually, that's a really bad thing to do. I have a big fear of going bust. You know, we've got tens of thousands of people in our property communities, hundreds of thousands of people on our property database. And if I went bust, I've definitely got some critics and some haters who are going to go and spread like wildfire, I told you so's and, and, and whatever else, and I'm going to look really stupid in front of a lot of people. Now, that is a great fear to have, because if I've got a fear of going bust, I'm going to serve you well as a member of my community. I'm going to make sure I give you good advice. I'm going to be careful with how I manage my money. I'm going to be careful with that I've got a lot of you know, months of burn rate in the bank. So the fear of going bust is a good fear. So you don't want to get rid of it. You just don't want it to become so big that you don't spend any money, you don't leave the house and, you know, and you, you don't take any sort of calculated risks. So you've got the, the purpose of fear is here and then the self-coach. And the first thing you have to say is, is this one of those old primal important fears or is this one of these fears that are really not real, that haven't uh, kind of developed with society, like rejection from people, asking them out on a date, asking them to buy some of my stuff. Someone posted something about me on Facebook that I didn't like and I had a meltdown and cried and spent three, year, you know, three years being depressed at home and didn't, you know, didn't smile at my kids anymore. So which one is it? And basically, what you, you know, the better you get at this, the quicker this turns it round. So I remember for, for days I'd hold sulks or grudges or whatever. And um, the, the five minute rule, which I said, I promised you I'd share with you at the start of the video, is basically you're allowed to look at the primal fear, look at the downside, you know, experience the sadness, the depression, the anger, the guilt, the, you know, all of the other sort of fear, the, the, what you might call negative emotions. You're allowed to experience them. You need to experience them to work out what they are, to work out if they serve you or not. Look at how they serve you. But only five minutes. Be as depressed as you want for five minutes, as long as you're not near a bridge or a knife. And then you five minutes and then you're out. And then you look at solutions. You look at sort of compartmentalizing that it's not you that's being rejected. It's just the thing. How do I improve? How do I tweak? How do I iterate? What feedback can I learn from, you know, whatever I've imagined? Remember that it's not real. And I think if you're able to do that with yourself, you know, you'll have some big wins. So 
People are always looking for extremes, which I think is a delusion, i.e. everything's about de-risking or everything's about taking risks or, you know, people are either really sceptical or really optimistic. You know, if you eat uh, fish, it's healthy. If you eat too much fish, you'll get mercury poisoning. If you eat all raw vegetables, well, you're going to get some toxins and you're not going to get enough proteins. And so everything needs to be balanced between extremes. And the, the, the more extreme you are, the more sort of OCD you become. And the more extreme you are, the more you end up having kind of mental challenges. Autism is, is extremes. So how can you balance? How can you see how both serve you and embrace them? I think that'll really help. So learn to self-coach, learn how to have a word with yourself. Bobby and I have this little thing on the golf course, which we play, which is if I've hit a bad shot or he's having a bit of a mood, we'll allow ourselves to get a bit annoyed. And then I'll do this sort of live thing where I'll say to Bobby, daddy's going to have a word with himself now. And then I'll actually have a word with myself in front of him. Tiger Woods used to have this rule that he's, he'll allow himself to be really frustrated and annoyed until the next hole. And then when he stands on the next tee, he's gone and he's in the present moment. Because always stuck in fear and always stuck in you know, the sort of the self-worth issue means you never experience the present moment. And actually what happens is the past ruins the present, which ruins the future. Okay, I think I've covered it all. I hope this was useful to you. Uh, How long have we done? Wow, 16 and a half minutes when it should have been 11 or 12. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to do the question and answers part in the disruptive entrepreneurs community. So if you search disruptive entrepreneur, disruptive entrepreneurs community, in the Facebook search bar, or if you want to find the exact URL, it's facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash disruptive entrepreneurs community. Come and join if you're not already. We have 360-ish thousand subscribers now, but you know a lot of those aren't yet in the community, so you need to move into the community where I carry on the discussions and debates, where I ask for your feedback on what you'd like me to share with you on the, both the audio podcasts, the video podcasts, the live feed podcasts, the interviews. I'm interviewing the winner of The Apprentice today, which is a great coup, feathering the cap for the disruptive entrepreneur. I'm going to be interviewing someone who does runs a £21 million a year health and fitness business. I'm going to be doing something completely different there. So we've got some amazing things coming on, but I need you in the community so I can ask you what you want so I can give it to you. So disruptive entrepreneurs community, and I'll carry on the questions and answers here. I've also got a special offer running which is if you share my podcast in your email database or your social media feeds, you know, just make a little comment about what you think about it and put the link in and then you private message me the photo of that, I'm going to give you two tickets to Business and Lifestyle Summit. Now, every one of our delivery events are between £995 and £5,000 and I'm prepared to give the first, it's probably got to be the first 100 because we can only fit 250 maybe in the room. I'm prepared to give you a free ticket. It's not one of these freebie events or these, you know, sell you every five minutes events. And it's really an extension of the disruptive entrepreneur philosophy, the life leverage philosophy. So if you want two tickets to Business Lifestyle Summit, all you have to do is share this podcast, the link to it on your social media or email database. Show me the proof and I'll get you two tickets, but I can only do the first 100. All right, so I'll see you in the disruptive entrepreneurs community where we'll extend the debate. And um, remember, if you don't risk anything, you risk everything.